With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. City of Chronicles is a Bayer Chronicles production. Welcome to the Seria Chronicles podcast. I'm Mina Rizuki, and as always, I'm joined by Nikki Bandini. But before I bring her on to say hello, I just wanted to remind you all that this is our monthly free episode, and we're also running a 14-day free trial for our Chronicles to Fosi Patreon membership. So if you want to join and see what it's like to, to be a member of this podcast, head to seriachronicles.com forward slash Patreon now and subscribe to the Chronicles Tifosi membership for free. You'll get access to all our old podcasts, listen in, see if you like it and uh, decide uh, what you want to do after that. But uh, let's bring in Nikki. Hi, Nikki. How are you? I'm good, Mina. How are you? I know you've been back from uh, the States for a while, but it's kind of nice to know that you're still like only an hour away and not, not much further than that. Aww. Do you know, like, I have been back for a while and I still feel like I haven't quite, like, got my sleeping pants back where they should be. I'm on, I'm on Mina time, actually. That's what I've done. Because oh, Mina, really? if people haven't already picked this up, is like a total night owl. And, like, I'm not normally, but I've sort of just got to this pant now where it's like I'm nearly back to the proper hours. But I just keep staying up, like, till, like, you know, half midnight, one in the morning or something and just never quite getting back to where I'm supposed to. And yeah, it's like I just sort of, I've, I've run most of the marathon and then decided oh, I'm just going to sit down and not finish it. <laughs> So I was listening to this podcast recently, Nikki, of a Formula One driver doing an interview. And basically, halfway through the podcast, his alarm went off. And then he sort of was like, oh, I'm really sorry. It's just the time that I wake up. And obviously, the, the presenter then sort of realized what he said and said, wait, hold on. What are you talking about? It's 1130 in the morning. That's your time to wake up in the morning is 1130 in the morning. Like, totally shaming him for that time, right? And then he's like... <laughs> Oh, no, I'm kidding. It wasn't my time to wake up. It was just an alarm. Obviously, he's now feeling pressured into saying that, like, you know, he's not this high now. And then he comes back and is like, well, no, no, it's my alarm to wake up when I'm on holiday. Like, okay, fine. But do you know what I mean? But in my head, I'm like, why do we still shame people who wake up late if they work too late? Like, what's the issue? Do you know what I mean? I think if you're a successful Formula One driver, you probably deserve some slack, don't you? Like, as long as you're doing successful Formula One driving, you can wake up when you want. But also, like... Are you saying I'm not successful enough to deserve one? I'm saying you're not a Formula One driver, to the best of my knowledge. No, I'm not. 
So you're saying that I haven't earned the right to wake up late in the morning? I wasn't saying you can't wake up when you want. I was trying to disagree with this person saying they can wake up when they want. You can wake up whenever you want, Mina. I'm not your mum, so you can do what you want. Yeah. When we were doing fighting talk, they were like, are you all right for coming in at 10.30 in the morning? And I was like... Oh, for goodness sakes, can't you just like delay this podcast? Like, it's just yeah. way too early in the morning. Like, and every time they ask me to do it, I'm like, no, I'm busy. <laughs> I just want to lie in. I swear to you, I'm very professional after 12. Okay. <laughs> just, not all there before that, you know? But anyway, enough. I definitely feel like a Formula One driver. Sorry, I'm just going to carry on the chit chat now. Yeah, go on then. I feel like a Formula One driver in my head because I don't, I don't follow Formula One. I don't really know much about Formula One. But like, we're a professional footballer. I'm like, no, I expect you to like, probably have like good sleeping patterns because like you're working, you're training all day. And I totally get that Formula One is incredibly physically like exerting and tiring. But I also like just my idea of Formula One, I think probably is like completely like outdated from the 90s, whatever my dad used to watch it. I feel like they're supposed to be like playboys and they're supposed to be like out late, like having that sort of lifestyle because that's what being a Formula One driver is. So like, I would almost be like disappointed if Formula One drivers weren't like staying up late and I don't know, swanning around red carpet events. So, wait, hold on. So, you think footballers are like the professional bunch and the Formula <laughs> One is like the, like, and they're the playboys. So, what you think, like, footballers are like loyal to their women? I didn't say loyal to their women. I think that would be too optimistic. I was thinking loyal to their sleeping habits. So, so they're not out till late. They're all like these poor little boys that come home really early and start cooking dinner <laughs> for themselves and watch a nice show on Netflix and fall asleep at 10 pm. They're more like, I think of it more like a lot of professional footballers. This is awful now. I was thinking they're like kids who need to be like parented quite a lot and like get all their meals given to them and like told what time to go to bed and like you get up at this time. Because every professional footballer I've spoken to has kind of, when we've got, when we've got into those topics, kind of definitely laid it out like that. Like, you know, when you're a professional footballer, a lot of your time is decided for you. And it's when you get told to jump, the only question you get to ask is how high. Is like being in the military. I think that's a lot of football's experience. Obviously, it's not everyone. I mean, you know, Neymar's clearly out doing, doing whatever he wants, isn't he? But I think for a lot of footballers, that is life. I was going to say, like, do you remember Zaniolo and Moiseki? Ken, the guy who got sent off the <laughs> for 40 seconds of play. We're going to get to Moiseki, aren't we? <laughs> you know, it's really interesting because I'm somebody who, obviously, like having watched football and seeing yourself transition from the kind of like pundit you are or your, your beliefs and how much they change as you get older, like I'm, like I was somebody who I told you I would be a Zamparini. I would sack my coach like every two weeks. Right. And now I'm totally <laughs> against that. <laughs> like Now I get really upset if they sack a coach because I'm like, you haven't had enough time. And I was somebody who's like, if a player did something wrong, I'd be like, get rid of him. Like what an idiot. Like this is, you know, you have to be professional. It's very hardcore. I wonder if it was like the banking stuff I did before. And now I kind of felt really bad for Moisekin when he got sent off. And I, now I, I feel really bad for all these, like, um, like Zaniolo. I was like, all right, the guy made a mistake. Okay, he wanted to leave and now he wants to stay. Like, let him stay, you know? And I, and I just feel like now I'd just be, I'd be a terrible football president. Whereas I think when I was a kid, I could have done a better job. Should we, um, should we talk about Moise Keane and Juventus and, and everything that happened? Yeah, well, considering our producer what came in today with a bloody Roma shirt, yeah? <laughs> like trying to... <laughs> And then you know what he says at the top of the show? I've done this for you, Mina. <laughs> I, won't, I won't show you what I did to him. Um, but either way, <laughs> it was a, I don't know whether we can call it a terrific match, but it was certainly entertaining, at least in the second half. Definitely not the first one. I thought I was going to pass out. Ended with a 1-0 in a match that I would say Mourinho out Allegri Allegri. Or is he the original Allegri is the question, right? <laughs> what, what did you think, Nikki? Enjoyed it? I enjoyed both the two big games this weekend. Obviously, there's two big games with two Roman clubs winning, and, and we will talk about the other one as well. But I, I found them both compelling. We were sort of joking about this one before we came on, because of course, like on Sunday, Serie A was not exactly a goal club. We had two nil-nils, and then you had Inter Lecce, which was a bit of a sort of damp squib. And meanwhile, Liverpool were thumping Man United 7-0, which I didn't even realise it happened. I checked the score at halftime, it was 1-0. I didn't even notice I came back and saw it was 7-0. So I think from, from a spectacle point of view, we were maybe a little bit short, but I, I thought this game was interesting. I thought there was a certain amount of, of, um, of nuance to it that was interesting. I thought there was actually a lot of similarity between the ways that Roma and Lazio both approached their games and, and of course, very, very similar outcomes. But 
the key things, obviously, for certainly for Jose was not starting with Tammy Abraham and bringing Jeannie Wijnaldum in to be notionally like a trequartista, notionally like behind Dybala with Pellegrini. But in, in reality, that became, I saw one report uh, describing it as not so much a false nine Dybala as, as just no number nine at all. And it did feel like that. There was really like nothing in the center of the pitch pushing forward for Roma. Everything was down the flanks. Everything was, 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 was working the outsides. And other than that, they were just very compact. Look, it, it, it's not necessarily um, flashy and exciting constantly to watch, but bear in mind where we were with this Juventus, with this, sorry, with this Roma side two years ago when Mourinho came in. And again, at the end of last year, after he'd been there for a year, the knock on this Roma side was Roma don't win the big games. Roma always drop points against Juventus, against Milan, against Inter. And this sort of specific team, I even saw Corriere della Sera ran a story the day before the game saying there was not one player in the entire Roma squad who had a positive balance of wins to losses against Juventus. There were only four who were even in terms of wins and losses against Juventus. That's when they played once. They drew the game earlier this season. And uh, poor Bellotti, who was off the bench, had, I think it was 16 games with 12 losses and four draws. So you had a whole group of players who do not beat Juventus ever. If you've got to make it cagey and not thrilling to get the result, go get your result. And and he got the result, Mourinho. And, and so for that, I think he deserves heaps of credit. Yeah, I, I thought it was an, a well-executed game plan, to be honest with you. But let's start off with sort of what happened in the week coming up to this match, because I thought like that was probably so interesting. This match was really building up because obviously of what Mourinho was sort of doing. They suffered a loss to Cremonese, who managed their first win in Serie A. And it just, it wasn't something we could really talk about because it escalated between Jose Mourinho, the fourth official, he was red carded and supposed to be banned for two games that got, well, the, the, it's being suspended, this punishment, until they fully investigate what just happened and what the fourth official really did say to Jose Mourinho because Mourinho was livid with what he said was a disrespectful, disrespectful comments made to him by the fourth official. Things like go home or, I don't know, just really like things that you shouldn't really exactly say to a football manager. I don't really know what happened there. At the same time, Mourinho is Mourinho. People were accusing him, well, Gazetta was accusing him of doing this to deflect from the fact that you lost to Cremonese. Like no one in the whole of Serie A this season has lost to Cremonese. And this is your way of saying, it's not about that. It's about the, what the fourth official did. Although I, I feel like when the sentence has been suspended, then there's more to it than that. So I thought that was interesting. But it was nice to have him back on the bench just to add to the drama. Uh, I liked uh, his hug with Allegri. Meanwhile, Allegri had come from this um, great match against Torino, which I swear to you, I would have bet my house would have been a, a, like a 1-0 victory, right? Like it's just one of those games because it's a, against a defensive Torino. You know, they, they are quite stingy defensively. Juventus are, are what, 1-0 team? And you just thought this was going to be dull, but Torino took the took the lead. Juventus managed to equalize. They took the lead again. Juventus managed to equalize again. And then in the second half, they sort of, you know, ran rampant when they brought on the likes of Pogba and Keza. Pogba finally back on the pitch. That was the big story. Great performers. Paredes was overlooked for youth. Um, it was about them pressing. It was about them choosing to play kids. It was about them looking to score four goals and actually managing it and never sort of like letting themselves off the hook. And all of a sudden it went from Allegri out to we can work with this. But we're back to Allegri out because they lost to Roma. <laughs> it's amazing how much your fortune can change. Because I read this all the time and I get really angry when they talk about Inter because it's kind of like Inter, can they secure top four? And then they beat Lecce. Inter have solidified second place. And I'm like, okay. This has been such a season for narrative, hasn't it? It's been such a season for like grabbing a story. And then, anyway, we talked about this with Patrick when he came on, didn't he? Didn't we? That, you know, Patrick was, um, sorry, the police are coming for me. They're in the background, I think. It is London. <laughs> I'm still here. Don't worry. I haven't done anything. <laughs> <laughs> Such a season of like swings for like most teams. And Patrick was talking about like that bit where Juventus hadn't lost in a while and, and, and before the punishment came down thinking they could win the title. And I honestly, I've, I've always been rolling my eyes at the suggestion that they could be the, the, the competitor to, to Napoli. I, I never really saw it, but it is true that they would be second still if you took away the points penalty. So they have been better than most teams in Serie A. Mourinho is like 
as good a case as you can get for like this, the swinging narratives. I mean, I mean, this, this week, as you've sort of just touched on there, it's been like the, the wildest week because a hundred percent, that's what he was doing. I don't care whether or not we'll get, well, I do, I'm not saying he shouldn't care. I'm not saying there shouldn't be some sort of appeal process, but I personally don't care if said I did say rude things to him or not, because it's still going to be true that this is something we've seen Mourinho do all through his career when something goes wrong. You know, it's the, what do they call it? In politics, they talk about the the dead cat strategy where like you just walk into the room and throw a dead cat on the table, then it doesn't matter what everyone's talking about. Now they're going to talk about the dead cat. That's Mourinho. That's what he likes to do. Like just walk in and like, just give you a distraction. Like everyone talk about this. Don't talk about what just happened. Because they lost to Clemonese in the league and in the cup, right? Clemonese, who haven't beaten anyone in Serie A at all, have now beaten them twice. And yet you come from that and and get things together and, and get this this really strong performance out of your team in the game against Juventus. And I, I think there there's sort of a lot of mystery still with how good this team is or isn't. But I think there are some things that he does deserve us to acknowledge, which is defensively Roma have been very tight. They haven't conceded a goal at home since the start of 2023. Obviously expected goals is one of those stats that's a bit murky because different people use different measures. But if you go off the website Understat, which is one that people use quite a lot, they have the the fewest expected goals against Roma in all of Serie A and also in all of Europe's top five leagues. So actually defensively, they have been impressive. And we've talked about Chris Smalling before having a good season. Actually, Mancini has been a quietly a nice reclamation project for, for Mourinho because I, I don't think he's that good still. He's got a great goal out of nowhere this weekend, but he's, he's, he's getting more out of him than, than they were before. And, and he is doing a good job of making Roma a more solid team defensively. There is still this question over them, which he sort of himself was, was playing on in his post-game remarks about why are they so inconsistent? And Mourinho's answer is always just because we're not concentrated enough because we're not all applying at the same level every game. If we played at this level every game, we'd win every game. And that's probably not quite the, the whole story either. But I, I do think, I do think it's, it's, it's fascinating how he has got some parts of that really right. And, and, and definitely he deserves some acknowledgement for, for winning this game and for having Roma currently joined fourth with Milan on points they drew when they played early this season. So the tiebreak between those two will come down to the, the second game that they play. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it should be noted that neither side, neither Juventus or Roma, really play fantastic football. But I think the mark mm. of a good side is is not one that entertains you. It's one that has a game plan and executes it perfectly. And I feel like on this occasion, perhaps because in many ways you expect between this match that it would be Juventus who should be attacking, not not the ones who are playing like the underdogs, right? If you ask me between the two teams, even though Juventus have kept a remarkable number of clean sheets, which one I would say is is better defensively, I'm going to say it's Roma. Um, and I think it makes a huge difference that against Cremonese, they didn't have Smalling because Smalling really is like the powerhouse in the middle. Mancini for me is he's a little bit of a dirty player. He's like a Pepe in the making. 
but you kind of want him in your team because I would always want a Pepe in my team. Cristante, quindi Mancini, limite dell'area, pensa al tiro, la batta! Mourinho has been sent off three times this season. No Roma player has been sent off all season. Like, not one in Serie A. So, on the dirty thing, like, I agree about Mancini. It's like his character is, he's, he's definitely a, yeah. you know, a wind-up merchant. But actually, like, Roma's discipline on the pitch, unlike Mourinho on the sidelines, has been very good. Yeah, I wonder whether he says, I'm doing this for you, sort of like, you know, like a, <laughs> like a, a Kilini on Saka in the Euros, you know, like, I'm going to do this and I'll take the hit if I need to, but, you know, I'm doing this for my team, but without doing it on the pitch, right? No, you're right with Mancini. Actually, their discipline has been fantastic. Also, because this season, what, he had 21 yellow cards last season, eight this, eight this time around, this so far this season, that was noted by the commentators. So we obviously have seen a, a difference in the way that he plays his game. He's very, very clever. And I kind I like that. Whereas before he would get fouled and like he would foul and get a yellow card. Nowadays, he knows how to shield that a little bit more. Maybe he's a Kalini in the making, if you like. But having Smalling back, I, I always think Smalling just makes such a difference. Like we talk so much about tomorrow, but we, I feel like Smalling doesn't get enough of like, a, I just like him missing against Cremonese. It just made the world of difference. But otherwise, you could say that, yeah, they're just better in what I, you know, we always joke about what I like in football and I, apparently I, I love bad football and I, and I, you know, hate a pep. It's not about that. I, I'm not a systems girl. I like teams that are flexible and tactically and teams that know how to make a difference as the game goes on. But what I really like mostly is teams that execute their game plan, but it doesn't have to be perfect. I don't know how to explain this. It it becomes really hard, but you have to know how to play the fundamentals of football. It annoys me when teams don't understand the fundamentals, you know, how to defend a set piece, how to defend as a team, how to be compact when required, how to suffer when necessary, how to, you know, ride it. Like if it's the last minute of the match, how to go to the, you know, to, to take it out wide, you know, or go as far as you can and not try to score a goal and lose possession. Like these fundamentals, I like teams that know how to do that. It's just, for me, it's most important that you secure the result and everything that comes afterwards, elevation, style of play, it comes afterwards, but know the fundamentals. And on this occasion, Roma did the fundamentals really, really well. And that's why I think they deserve to win it. That doesn't mean that Juventus didn't do a good job. I thought they they hit the woodwork three times. They constantly try to go forward to to find themselves, um, especially in the second half, a little bit more in the beginning to to try to to snatch victory if they could. But I just thought the wall of Roma was really spectacular. The only thing is, is that I probably wouldn't have gone with that false nine strategy. Like I would have played with Abraham and, and Belotti or one of them at least starting. I think that would have made even more of a, a good game in the beginning. Hang on, wait, whoa. Did, did I just hear Mina say that she would, Start Bellotti in a game. I mean, that's you know, that's something that I think I've never heard. No, of. no, definitely not Bellotti. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I would never start Bellotti. I'm so sorry, but I actually think he's a really good person. I'm really sorry. It's got nothing to do with personal. He's just a, a terrible striker these days. It's not personal. You're just really bad at your job. I don't know. It's just something that happened at Roma. I, I thought he was really great at Torino. <laughs> sorry, that's my phone probably like yelling at me. But I also wanted to ask you. Um, it's Bellotti. He's calling. Why wouldn't you have, would you not have started Al Sharawi? Look, I, I think what I would have done is, is feels kind of moot because what Mourinho did worked, right? I mean, yeah, it, it did feel a bit sort of like a, a straight up. It's also a bit lucky though. What's the word? I don't know. Like it's, it's a straight up, like telling your opponent very openly, like we're not going to try to attack you, which is unsubtle, but, but it, it worked. Yeah. I, I probably would have wanted to start like a little bit more. Algeria is nice because you know you can stretch the game a little bit, and and so you know you yeah. get a little bit of extra like zip going forward. But clearly, Jose just wanted to really sort of set in with what was effectively two banks of five and just make it really congested, and and that did work. You're right about Juventus hitting the woodwork three times. Actually, I was sort of going to pick up on that, like because the last of those was off Mancini, who was sort of somehow in the middle of absolutely everything, not only scoring the goal and, and hitting his own woodwork, but also, I mean. Moise Keane was an idiot. And I yeah. think you, you, get, you, you get sent off for that because you're an idiot. But at the same time, Mancini was definitely fouling him, doing the, 
he was he fouled him and then did this ridiculous flop. It was definitely some grade A shithousery, to use the word that everyone uses, from Mancini to, to get him sent off. Doesn't mean that Keane isn't an idiot, because he is. He is, yeah. In that moment. I don't it's not global judgment on Keane, but yeah, in that moment he did something stupid. Yeah, you know, Juventus Juventus did have chances and I did see um Roberto Pruzzo, the sort of former Roma great, who sort of verdict on the radio was was the the difference between this game and other games that Roma haven't won is that Roma had a goalkeeper in this game, which is a bit of a sort of savage backhanded compliment for Rui Patricio, but he did make it a couple of important saves. Yeah, I don't know, I mean, you're on the Juventus side of it. It still feels, maybe more than ever it feels actually, less than some of its parts. There was a point with this Juventus team when it was more, it felt more sort of okay to me to say, well, you know, they have been missing all these players and actually if they're getting the results, what can you really say about that? They're, get, they're getting the corto muso. But now when you do look at that pitch and you see players who a lot of money has been spent on and, and it's, I've really been reluctant to target him. Vlahovic feels like such an obvious target. I'm glad that everyone's buying into like my initial complaints about him, that everyone was like, <laughs> abused and trolled for like weeks about my comments about Vlahovic. And now everyone, now everyone is writing to me being like, I don't see where you're coming from. You expect more, right? He's, he's a yes. really expensive centre forward and, yes. and it hasn't happened. And, and at this point, yeah, someone who costs that much money should be should be helping you not lose these games, and um, and he he feels very anonymous in these games. Kostic, who I've been quite hard on, is actually like growing into. I think has has really figured out sort of his niche, and he's a very very hard worker. Like, he's really been sort of carving a hole in my heart for him right now, um, Kostic. So I think he deserves a little bit of praise. I'm still unsure as to how Cuadrado still plays for Juventus, but he does what he does. <laughs> he hit the post. And he did score a magnificent goal against Torino. <laughs> yeah, he scored against Torino. He scored, we didn't even mention that. They won the derby. But everything he does is almost by accident. And I'm like, really, did you mean that? Like, I don't know how to explain. But yes, he does. Cuadrado is capable of one of some of those moments that you just think, oh God, I love you. You know, like, thanks for doing that. But here's the thing. The one thing I do want to mention is that basically, Romo at the end brought on Abraham and Bellotti, right? If you are looking for your counter-attacking opportunities, because you know now that Juventus have to move forward, right? They're, they're pushing as much as they can to get an equalizer. So you're trying to capitalize on bringing in, um, on counter-attacking. Why would you bring on Bilotti and Abraham and not bring in Al-Sharawi, who actually has some pace? Just, just one question. Another thing, I love that people sort of applaud the fact that Juve ended it with a four-man defense and four forwards. It's never about the number of forwards. It's about your efficacy. And sometimes that can happen by changing fallbacks, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the more forwards you have on the pitch, the better that you are. And I do, I have an issue that ever since, like, I just feel like with Vlaovic up there, who doesn't contribute enough to the overall play in the final third. And it's interesting because against Salernitana, which was, I think, his first game back, I thought he was fantastic. I was like, well, this is the 80 million pound player that we, you know, we paid for. And then ever since, it's still like, yep, yeah, nope. Same old Vlavich, one that just is, seems really upset and low on confidence. And yes, it doesn't help that he plays for an Allegri team, but I, I actually don't buy into that because every every other player has made the most of it and done pretty well, to be honest with you. And I just feel like had Milik been there, there would have been more opportunities perhaps. And Vlaovic is having a lot of one-on-one time as well with Allegri, who's staying behind after training and talking to him and trying to do things with him in the same way that Spalletti does with his players. But I'm not, I don't know whether it's a confidence thing, but I don't even feel like he necessarily sometimes has the right attitude. You know, he has it in him. You know, he's a great player when he wants to be, when he can be, but something there is just not, I don't know, it's a Dicatelare kind of scenario, but not exactly the same way. So... Yeah, Pogba's back, Kiers is back. I think it's going to take time for us to really see all of that come together. I, I kind of would prefer to to depend on things I know, like Fagioli in midfield, Kostic out wide right now. I, I mean, honestly, if I had the choice, I would have put Minnick up front if he wasn't injured. I'd, ra- I'd rather depend on those old things than de- like than start introducing this fancy trident with Kieser and, and Vlaovic and Di Maria. I, I don't know whether Juventus is ready for that. I like Juventus being sort of a, a blue collar team that scores goals that are white collar, but like that's that's my Juve for me. Like I think that's the kind of team that I want to watch. But Roma going forward, I can't like you know, you watch that loss against them in and you think, no, I can't see this team making top four. 
And you see that win and you think they are capable of these moments. And then Mourinho said they are as well. Are they? If it's not a big team that they're trying to quash. They're capable of top four because I, I think they're, you know, they're one of, well, there's not, again, there's not be such prisoners of the moment to, to rule things out, but absolutely it's um, at the moment looking like there are four teams in pole position for three places now, isn't it? Which is assuming Juventus don't get the points penalty over time, which who knows, that could happen. But you've got Inter on 50 points right now, Lazio on 48, Roma on 47, Milan on 47. Atalanta will get to them, but they feel like they're fading quite badly and they're on 42. So that really makes it look like you've got three spaces behind Napoli for four teams. Why shouldn't Roma be one of them? I don't see them as being behind particularly any of those teams in that group. Depends on many things. Depends on how much the Europa League takes out of their legs. Obviously, they've got a big tie against Sociedad coming up. Not, not the easiest draw they could have got. Depends on fitness of players and depends on consistency, which is, is going to be the big question. But it also... I don't know if you're trying to lead us on here, Mina. It will depend on Lazio, their neighbours, who also had a good game this weekend. Yeah, they really did. One thing, just before we do move into that match, Dybala was attacked on social media. I'm very glad that he put in another sort of average performance. Just so that I feel better about my choices. As if it was me that let him go. <laughs> but attacked on social media because he celebrated the win at the end and because there was a great save towards the end. And he sort of just pumped his fists. And and I just found that remarkable that anyone would go on social media and be upset with him for celebrating with his new team after Juventus let him go, didn't renew his contract, the captain of the club, haven't even paid him all his wages yet because of all their salary maneuvers, well, allegedly still, to then go on social media and say, I thought you loved us. So what, what do you think you should do then? Like Start making sure that you win? It's unbelievable the way that fans behave sometimes. I'm somebody who totally understood the decision of letting go of Dybala and I was happy with it. I still think like I'd, I'd rather have a player like Di Maria on my team, even if he's old than have Dybala, because I'm always feeling like there's this place that he's not hitting in potential. But the way that some fans react to things, I find mind blowing. Yeah. No, I mean, this is, this is classic. Like you dumped your partner and now you're mad because they're seeing someone else and having a good time. I'm sorry, but that's what that is. It wasn't, it wasn't his decision to leave. That was... Precisely. Juventus said, no, no, we're done with you. Ciao. And he went off and found someone better for him. And sorry, now he's happy. <laughs> yeah, now he's happy. Pogba's not happy that he's gone, but, but he's happy. And so let him be happy, for goodness sakes. <laughs> no, oh, Pogba and Dybala were mates. That was a happy time for them at Juventus, wasn't it? Things got worth for both of them when Pogba left. Exactly that. Fischia Maresca! Vince la Roma! Roma 1, Juve 0. Che squadra incredibile questa Roma che nel giro di 5 giorni perde con l'ultima in classifica e poi gioca una prestazione maiuscola contro la Juventus. Hey gang, just wanted to let you know that you can now get a free 14-day trial of our Chronicles Tifosi Patreon membership. Subscribe now for free for 14 days to get access to all of our full episodes, solo mini-sodes, bonus content, even behind-the-scenes bonuses like our chats about football, and of course, our chats about life in general. You can also get the entire bank catalogue of Serie A Chronicles content. So head over to seriachronicles.com forward slash Patreon and subscribe to the Chronicles Fosy membership for free. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com.
having said all of this, without the 15-point penalty, as we mentioned, Juventus would be in second with 50 points, joint with Inter, who are also 50 points. Lazio, though, behind by two, 48, uh, one ahead of Roma now. But a thrilling game on Friday. Oh, I'm not sure thrilling is the right word, but a very, very good game on Friday evening as Lazio managed to... Uh, make Napoli lose their second game of the season, their first against Inter. And obviously you did a great voice note about it. And so we're going to address this. Actually, no, before I do address this, just a, a quick one here. You don't really think that this means anything about Napoli, but this is like Lazio coming into the fore, right? Yeah, no, I, I joked on Twitter about like, oh, look out, gap at the top could be down to 15 points, which it nearly wasn't, of course, because Milan then didn't win, but Inter did win. Uh, no, they're 15 points clear with, what is it now, 13 games left to go? Mm-hmm. Uh, I see zero chance that Napoli will not win the title. Although I did have a Napoli fan immediately on Twitter saying, within three weeks, it's going to be down to six points. They, they have got... Oh my God. They, they, look, they have got, on paper, probably their, their toughest stretch of what's left in the league season coming up, right? Because they've got Atalanta at home next. Then you've got the second leg against Frankfurt, which actually is probably not as bad as it sounds because of how well the first leg went. Then you've got Torino away, then Milan at home. And uh, if you skip ahead a couple of games from there, then you get Juventus away at the end of April. So there are some games coming up that they could find not just walks in the park, but it's, it's, it's still, even if, honestly, even if you lost all of those, which they won't, I, they'd still have six points of leeway, assuming that Inter win all of their games, which they probably won't. So it's not, it's not a thing. No, it's not, it's not a title race. It's, it's still very much a procession, but um, they lost this one. Okay, so let's run through some important things. They haven't lost at home now, Polly, since April 10th of last year. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. A loss after eight consecutive victories and the last four without conceding a goal. Osman didn't score after scoring in eight games in a row. Osman and obviously Kravatskeria had managed 19, 29 goals and 12 assists, but managed nothing against Lazio. One shot on target in each half by Napoli. But this was all a little bit about Sadi coming home and showing us just how well he knows Napoli and how well to restrict their game plan and everyone was talking about this and, and oh is this just because and you mentioned this, this is what I want to talk to you you said that maybe sometimes you can be a little bit off your game because you can't accept exquisiteness at every turn and I very much agree with that but here's the thing on this particular occasion do you remember the reverse fixture vaguely it's been a while it was but I thought at the time and do you remember it was like like last year should have had a penalty at the end and you felt like yeah. you were kind of hard done by in that match because it was a 2-1 win for Napoli, wasn't it? It was 2-1 in September. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it should have been a 2-2, to be honest with you. I mean, well, we don't know. Like, But either way, there was like, I can understand why Lazio were really upset that they didn't get a penalty at the very end. They were denied by, I think it was VAR. But Lazio were just fantastic. Yeah, they took a lead early on. And then they were just this like complete, like perfect block, which they have been, by the way, they had one of the best defenses at the start of the season. Uh, they played differently to the way that Atalanta did, but they both uh, like were on par with how good they were defensively. Obviously, they, it, things went a little bit different. Last year, when they want to be, can play some of the best football that you'll ever watch. And it's very different to Napoli under Sari. Lazio under Sari is different, but I, I like that kind of football in particular. They defended so well at the time against them, against Napoli. They closed down their parking lanes. They knew how to counterattack and they were very vertical when they needed to be. They won all their duels at the time. And I remember Spalletti came out afterwards and I was checking this yesterday in his post-match conference and said, we didn't move the ball around fast enough. But it's fine because Cavatskelia just had one of those games that changes your life. But this occasion, he came out Spalletti again after the game and said, we didn't pass the ball fast enough. And I'm like, this happens a lot against Lazio. And if anyone's paying attention, then Lazio have just given you the blueprint on how you can, how you can really try to get at Napoli, right? And I don't know whether it's, it's the only thing that worries me because I don't, obviously I, I agree with you, Napoli will win the Scudetto. I need them to win the Champions League, you know? So I want to make sure that when you do sort of become this compact unit that tries to starve everyone of, of space to move around or to do this, is there another way of doing this? 
And that's because I don't trust their defense, right? And so that's the only thing that I'm saying, like if you are playing against a team that can defend as a block and move as compactly as Lazio can and win their duels, what do they do then? Like, is it is it annoying that they didn't introduce some substitutions earlier? I think it's it's really interesting that you went and, and dug that out, Mina, about like what Spalletti said last time. Because to me, that just sounds like if it's happening twice, it's very much you can't move the ball quick enough because Lazio aren't letting you. And, and I mean, the, the compactness of Lazio, I think even compared to Roma, exactly. it was it was really something because um, it wasn't sort of so much formational, you know, with, with, with Roma, it was a very clear sort of shift from that three, four, two, one into just the, the, the banks of five. With, with Lazio, it was just like the four, three, three was still there. But the gap from the front to the back of it was was so was so small. Like the Immobile was constantly helping moving backwards. Um, so you had all through the time, all through the team, just this willingness to just compact the whole pitch down basically to 20 meters for a lot of the game. And it's very hard to to pick your way through that amount of space. And and it's actually a very effective sort of counter to if you listen to how Spalletti has talked about football this year or through the year. He doesn't have a very rigid way of attacking with with Napoli. He his mm. whole system relies on having a group of intelligent footballers who he's helped to teach to work out where the space is and then exploit it. And I think the Eintracht Frankfurt game was a really good example of this because they started off looking for space down the left where Kvaratskhelia was. Kvaratskhelia was completely mobbed, and then what they realised was that the one place where Frankfurt were trying to be adventurous sometimes, we're trying to make those pushes forward, was on their left-hand side and where the fullback kept pushing on. And so suddenly it was, Lozano's got some space over here, let's go for it. And Lazio just didn't give that space. They didn't do it the whole game. And I think that when you contrast the Roma win with the Lazio win, they're superficially so very similar, right? Because both games, games of few chances, games of one team, in both cases, the team from Rome, playing this very compact style. Both of them won by a shot that requires a bit of good fortune because both of them are shots from outside the box. If you give Vecino or Mancini that same opportunity 10 times, they don't score it every time, right? These are not players who score those goals every time from outside the box. They're just things that happen. But to me, the difference is Lazio felt much more structured and much less vulnerable. Because actually in the whole game, the only chance to me that really resonated for Napoli was when they themselves also hit the woodwork as Juventus did, but instead of doing it three times, they did it once. And it was Victor Osimhen on a header from a corner. And you know what? Like Victor Osimhen is the best striker in this league. He is by some distance. So if all you've got given up in, in 90 minutes against this team is one chance for that guy, I think you've done a pretty special job, frankly, because no one's coming away from Naples without giving him a chance. So I, I thought their defensive work was really, really impressive. And I also thought, and I did say this on the voice note, but in case anyone didn't hear it, I thought if you look at the goal they did score, Lazio, it's not a goal actually from nothing. The shot is a bit from nothing. It's it's Vecino. There's just been a moment when Napoli could have cleared the ball. He didn't quite manage it. But the, the 90 seconds building up to that goal, in a game where Lazio overall had 35% possession, for 90 seconds, they held the ball almost completely. And it's all exactly the football, actually, that Sally's Napoli to play when they played well. Little triangles, moving up the pitch in a very coordinated way, not getting too far away from each other, keeping those spaces really tight. So even if you lose the ball, you're not going to risk anything, but actually showing that when we want to play this quick one-touch football, we can do it. And I, I thought that it was a really, really impressive an almost unnoticed build-up to that goal because because the last minute of it, or the last minute, the last seconds of it are a bit chaotic because it is kind of just a flex of Vecino and he just has a go. Destro! Gol meraviglioso di Vecino! La Lazio in vantaggio al ventiduesimo minuto nel corso del secondo tempo cambia il parziale al Maradona una sventagliata di Vecino dai 25 metri forse anche qualcosina di più pallone but the actual overall picture that built up to it was, was really impressive. 
I really enjoy Sadi's Lazio when they're on. I mean, they've had lots of missteps this season as well. Otherwise, they wouldn't be just one point better off than than Roma, right? That they're, they're not streets ahead. But when they're good, they're really good. And I, I thought they were really good this weekend. You know, it's interesting because, like, again, we talk about coaching so much, but and Maurizio Sadi is from a purely tactical point of view. I think he's he's up there with the very best of them. You know, like I don't know what he can do with your side. But with this match, in order to win this match, you needed to, like the way that they played the game relied a lot on perfection, relied a lot on sort of winning your duels, being so concentrated the whole time, knowing exactly how to play that offside trap so you would catch them, you would catch Napoli off guard. It's one of those games where it's almost impossible to do if you have a lot of games to play, right? Which is why Lazio sort of sometimes fall apart against teams you wouldn't imagine them to fall apart against. And that's why, for me, Maurizio Sarri, who can develop a perfect game, is someone I would worry about as being my coach because he relies a lot on perfection. Whereas what I like a little bit more about Jose Mourinho, who, by the way, I, I'm not saying to is a better coach by any stretch of the imagination, secures the fundamentals in many ways, but also allows for mistakes because he knows how to sort of he understands that people will make mistakes and it's it's difficult to remain concentrated, but find sort of a, a fallback plan for that. And I just feel like the way that when Lazio, like you said, when they're on, they're just outstanding. And they have the second, I just checked, they have the second best defense in Serie A at the moment behind Napoli, uh, obtained in a very different ways. It's not about them always having more possession, right? So it is about that defensive solidity. It is about ma- managing this blog. When you defeat them, you really can defeat them and they sort of crumble. But it is one of those things where he needs his play. And I think it's always going to be really hard for him to win it with these types of teams, right? Because he relies too much on perfection. And unless you have very top level players who can make up with individual quality, then you can't ask a team to do this all the time. And that's what worries me about Sadi going forward and winning trophies. But excellent game. I really want to see what I mean, I know that Eintracht is, is obviously going to be an easy game, but I'm I'm just, I'm excited about Napoli's journey and this hasn't at all troubled me, so don't worry, people. <laughs> we're not actually, when we nitpick, it's just because we're trying to just, you know, go through the finer details of what is already perfection by these two sides. So yeah. it is that. And- Napoli are fine. Like you can't have 50 perfect yeah. games in a season. You you can't. Like <laughs> no. it's never been done. And it's why it's so rare that you see a team go through a full season unbeaten, even when it's Bayern Munich trampling the Bundesliga, it's not often they get through the whole season without losing any games, right? I've, I've used an example, it's a bad one, because I actually have no idea if that's something that's happened recently or not, because I don't follow the Bundesliga very closely, <laughs> but I'm sure they do lose games most seasons, because it's just normal. They do, they do. <laughs> and, uh, and and they always finish on top at the end. So so yeah, I did. I'm not worried about that. And of course, they can't yeah. be complacent in that Frankfurt tie, but um but it's it's very much one that that is is balanced in their favour now. I'm super interested to see how Roma and Lazio will, will will handle their respective European commitments now. Obviously, Lazio are through in the Conference League, and Roma are through in the Europa League. I saw Mourinho even this week was sort of in the many inevitable Mourinho moments, saying, "Oh, it was, it's going to be much easier to win the Conference League this season. It's a much softer field than it was when I was in it." So yeah, classic Mourinho, of course making out how he's always got it tougher than everyone else. But Is this the same guy who was uh, heckling the under-14s in a, in a Roma Lazio derby? <laughs> oh my God, we didn't even mention that, did we? You know what's amazing, Mina? I, I, love, I love how, I mean, I don't actually, in lots of ways I hate it, but it's funny how the internet spins things in different ways, right? Because I'd seen sort of things popping up about, oh, good guy Mourinho, look how... After the under-14s won their derby, he brought all the players to meet the first-team squad. And there were these like team voters and all like sort of um, with the first-team players enjoying themselves. And that's cool, right? You, you do make, make your young players feel involved. But then like the other part of this story comes out where <laughs> apparently Mourinho and other senior people were like at this game and giving it out to, to teenagers. And I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> teaching them to time boys by feigning injury and I'm like well Pellegrini took that on board <laughs> not Pellegrini I'm sorry I told you through Pellegrini under the bus Mancini <laughs> but yeah it, but it, it is a funny story like sometimes I'm always like oh my god like Mourinho drives me crazy right but then he does stuff like this and everyone's talking about it and I just kind of feel like oh I kind of like having him around <laughs> like he's do you know what I mean like 
This is one of my favourite parts this weekend. I feel like Mourinho and Sari both fit their environment so well. Like Roma, has em- <laughs> Roma have embraced Mourinho. They have. Like they're selling out the stadium every game. It's incredible. But Sari also like vibes with Lazio so well because Lazio really have this like, as a fan base, and this is obviously sweeping. I'm not saying every Lazio supporter feels like this. Obviously not. Everyone's an individual. But the Lazio fan base as an identity has this identity of, we're this slightly outsider group and we are against the hypocrisy of modern football. Like we think that everyone, because actually, you know, this is some of it used really in a horrible context of like when their fans do things that are massively offensive, they'll be like, oh, we're just highlighting the hypocrisy of modern football. But Sari is like so in his identity, like the anti of modern football, isn't he? He's, he, he's the one who ref- yeah. could barely dress up smartly when Juventus needed him to wants to just sit there with his cigarettes and be scruffy and just talk in the blunt, plain way that he talks. And it works. Like that identity of like fan to manager works in, in, in at Lazio the same way as it does with Roma and Mourinho. So it's fun watching this rivalry between two halves of a city, I think. And right now they've both got managers who just sort of feel like they fit. Yeah, I know. It, it does. It is really interesting to see how that, that keeps panning out for them. And I also kind of want to see, because there are 13 games left, where they end up in the league and who, who ends up having chosen the better plan or the better style, if you like. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Other games that happened were Inter played and won against Lecce. A lot of people thought this is a potential banana skin because Inter don't like the small teams. <laughs> but, uh, because any game's a banana skin for Inter whenever they feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. But this was a bit of a routine win that really... Um, I- Legi had a game plan of let's stifle, didn't work. That's it. No plan B. But there was, a, I thought, a great, great match between Fiorentina and Milan. Okay, so here's the thing. I do this like um, fun betting show where I'm always in stitches because it's like, I like to hear different points of view, especially Americans, like tell me what they think of like uh, Italian football sides, you know. And everyone was so high on Milan about this. You know, coming into this game, they had kept these clean sheets. They had gone back to winning. They did such a good job against Atalanta. Everyone was like, yeah, they found their way. Like, Tiao was, we spoke about it as well. You know, like, Tiao is, is the physical embodiment of power in the middle of three-man back line. And pure, and pure Fior, uh, poor Fiorentina, should I say. Like, you know, people were telling me, there was a lot on fighting talk about how Italian football is just, you know, so like boring and, and dull and defensive. And I, and I was trying to explain to them, like, for example, Fiorentina are a side that creates so many chances, but for some reason, these goals just don't go in for them in Serie A. But when they play mm-hmm. Braga in like Europe, there's like seven goals, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a 
you know what I mean? It's they're coming up against different opponents who perhaps aren't so tactically tactically organized. And I thought this was going to be a tough game game for them, especially with the way that Milan have been playing. It's a little bit more organized, a little bit more defensive minded. But Fiorentina totally, totally bossed that match, especially in the first half. And um, I don't know, is, is it Milan having their mind on on Spurs and, and that Champions League return leg, which will be in London? Or is this something that we should be a little bit more scared about? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I, I feel like it was definitely surprising just because it's been those four consecutive clean sheets, right? Like it was, it was the whole narrative with this Milan team was, okay, they fixed it. They've gone to this back three and now it works. But right from the beginning of this game, I mean, it was, it was only a few minutes in, wasn't it? When was it Cabral who got the wrong side of Chow, of Chow and Chow brought them down and, and it was, it was just a free kick, but it just, there was just something really early on in that game. And, and I just remember seeing Chow get, get turned around basically and, and give away that free kick and get booked. And I thought, they're going to test them. They're going to try to get in behind them. And then it kept happening. Like they just kept finding those, that ability to, to get behind that defense. And it, it, it definitely is, is to Fiorentina's credit. Fiorentina stole nothing here. I mean, it was, it was a, a pretty emphatic win, honestly. Mm. And it, it did raise that question of, of how, how real was, was Milan's progress these last few weeks? Was it slightly sort of less than we thought it was? Is there still vulnerability in that? in that group of defenders, because Tamori, again, did get beaten at times, gave away the penalty. Chao was getting beaten at times. And and yes, maybe like, as you said, Fiorentina just haven't got the results that they deserve for their performances so far, but it was another of those games where I wasn't sure how much to sort of give credit to one team and how much to say as well, problems for the other team. So we had a, a Chronicles to Fossi member, Paul Golfari, who asked, I just finished watching Fiorentina versus Milan. It hardly feels like a turnaround story with Magic Mike saving Milan from embarrassment. Can you comment on the tepid performance? What's going on in midfield that is making Milan so vulnerable? Yeah, I'm somebody who thinks midfield is kind of like, you know, you have a good midfield, you win games. You have a bad midfield, you do nothing. On this occasion, though, while obviously this isn't my favorite type of midfield, but I did think that this was the type of match in which you either needed Brian Diaz or you needed Leao. And ideally you needed both. Because when you when you are playing against a team like Fiorentina, who are also very good on the ball, they're very aggressive, they're pressing high and they're waiting for you to make mistakes. You need to be able to hold on to the ball. And Brian Diaz is a player who knows how to do that because the rest of the midfield and, and, and attacking players just didn't, like Rebic and Di Catelare, couldn't hold possession to save their lives. Um, Giroud is somebody that you deliver the ball to. He's not there to like hold the ball and, and play in the final surge. Ben Esser, I would say, was the only one that is probably capable of that, but he's playing in, in sort of in a sea of players who don't do that. And if you can't hold on to possession and try to sort of slow the game down and dictate a little bit more, then you would need speed of thought and speed of uh, just pace, which is where Leao comes in. And Leao was unfortunately unavailable. So I think the absence of those two players made a big, like it, it affected them almost more than it, it should have really, you know, but it's just that this is where I go back to this. And I'm not sure whether this is on this occasion, a tactical issue more with, I, I go back over and over again, that this team isn't complete as a squad. It just doesn't have enough and different type of qualities required. It's just that I don't know whether or not that they have this enough of a squad to really make up for if they do lose any types of players. And I do think that on this occasion, they, they needed a bit, they needed ability in that final third to just keep the ball for a little bit. And I think Brian Diaz is perfect in that, or they needed a lot of pace to counterattack and play a different kind of game, especially when you've got Mike Manian, who is capable of an assist and a throw forward. If you don't have somebody who can bring it down or do something or run onto it, then you have a problem. And I just think that's what Milan don't really have, but that's not to take away anything from Fiorentina, who I thought, Amrabat, I thought, had a great game because a lot of people have been on his back a lot. Mandragora, just in general, Vincenzo Italiano is one of my favorite coaches in general. And I think that he's done such a terrific job. He just obviously, you know, lost a lot. Lost Vlaovic, has managed to do a perfect job with Cabral. Perfect player, I think, when it comes to like a blue collar striker, right? Like somebody who really works hard for the team. You know? and, I, and I love that, which is kind of what I want from Vlaovic. But you have a different answer. No, I, 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 it's not a different answer. I, I actually think I, I overlap a lot with what you're, th- with what you're saying, Mina. I was thinking that there's a recurring problem with Milan, which is 
the left-hand side. You've got Teo Hernandez, who likes the bomb forward. And then you've either got Leao on the left-hand side with him or this game, it was Rebic playing in that, that left-hand side on the attack. And Rebic does not contribute nearly enough when he's on the pitch to the middle of the, the park and Tiao doesn't do enough defending. And so you end up with Sandra Tonali having to slide out and, and fill some of that gap on the left-hand side. And then you end up stretched in midfield. And I think if you look yeah. at the contrast between two winning performances this weekend, Roma and Lazio both, and their compactness, I think what you'd see with Milan is a complete lack of compactness. You'd see forwards who are too high up the pitch, Teo who's stretching things out too much on the left-hand side, and then these gaps that Fiorentina were able to, to move into, especially on the right, down that side, where it's Rebic and, and, and Teo. And, and I think that's, that's the root of the problems. And I think it's something that purely has still not sussed out, even this new formation, is how yeah. do you compensate for having one side of the pitch that wants to be that attacking? And I, I think that's the core of it. Of course, better players always help. And losing Frank Kessier has been a, a, a damage to them. But I think what you're saying about Diaz and, and how he interprets the role differently is important because if you're going to have some players who are a bit irresponsible like that when it comes to defending, then you need other players to to work extra to, to cover it. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's I think that's that's the big difference to me between between again Lazio is a great example because Lazio was such a selfless team performance, and Milan lacked a little bit of that, and and it showed. Yeah, I do think on some occasions, actually, that I've just said that purely sort of not really in a, They are a side that don't really like, they want to play their game and they're not sometimes as pragmatic as it needs to be. You know, like I, you know, on this occasion when you don't have players that like Rebic and Ketelade is your options, like I might have packed my midfield a little bit more and played a different game. You know, just as it is like you said, you know, it is, it is a lot of these guys that don't do enough or come back to the midfield or try to remain compact and then maybe change it to suit them. And because what this does is just leave the defense really vulnerable at that moment. Having said all of that, after everything that I've just said about all of this, there is something to be worried about with the Milan away from home. So here's the thing. I was like, for sure, when I was talking about the betting, is because for the Champions League as well, I thought Milan have this, like, you know, because it's Antonio Conte, right? And Spurs have just been mm -hmm. atrocious to watch. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I, I think Milan could do this. Like, why not, you know? And won the first leg. And then I looked at their away form. Six wins and five losses away from home. Now, let me look at the, t let me tell you who they defeated. They defeated Monza when they were under Stroppa, Salernitana when, you know, well, you know, you know what happens, Dynamo Zagreb, Elas Verona, who at the bottom, Empoli, when they were really struggling at the start of the season under Zanetti, still under Zanetti, and uh, Sampdoria, who have picked up one win in 2022 at the time, and it was the Cremonese. You look at that and then you look at the losses away from home and, you know, like your inters and, and sort of big teams and you wonder, is this a team that's capable away from home? Because it seems like a remarkably different performance from them when they're at home in, at San Siro and a different performance away from home because they only seem to be defending the teams that you expect them to, de to sorry, to defeat the teams you expect them to defeat. So now I'm super worried about the Champions League. Yeah, I think that's a... A fair question. I, I, I've never been that confident in any of them except for Napoli, so we'll find out. <laughs> I think both Milan and Inter performed well in the first legs. Both of them, I think, probably exceeded my expectations in the first legs, even though Inter was a slightly less convincing win than Milan's was. But did it, I've not thought at all that either of them are, are safe. I think these are two very in-the-balance ties. and I'm excited to watch them, though. I'm, I'm excited for, mm. for having Italian teams in knockout rounds of Champions League and having ties that are in the balance. That's, that in itself is... Sorry to say, step forward from where Italy has been recently, or Serie A has been recently with its clubs in Europe. Let's hope we get some decent performances and ones at least that might make us feel that Serie A is still on top of the world. Atalanta drew nil-nil against Udinese. And it's a little bit bizarre, sort of, you know, well, for one, Udinese, how they started the season, you know, this just this team that was like thrashing everyone and, and coming up with these brilliant performances, especially sort of, you know, 75 minutes onwards to being this team that just can't win a game at all. Um, and Atalanta, who've gone from the side that I thought were like really going to push for a top four place, everyone talking about Adam Ola Lugman, but especially Rasmus Hoyland that we've discussed at great length about his brilliance. 
to now being this team that have only five victories in their last 12 games, just not effective and, I don't know, very, very imprecise in their movement. Yeah, it definitely feels like the wheels have come off, but at Atlanta, it's, it's, as you said, three games in a row that aren't good results and time is, well, we're not running out of time quite yet. There's still time that you could turn this round in Serie A, but Mm. trending in the wrong direction, certainly, and, and, and not. Not an encouraging game against Udinese at all. Actually, Udinese, in the last 17 games, they've won once. God knows what what happened there. Especially weird when they didn't even have Pereira on this game. I would have thought a lot more from Atalanta. I don't know what's going on there, but um, I hope they can turn it around and, and still make it interesting. Other than that, any games that stuck out for you? Because they were all really boring mill mills. I think, I think we've covered the interesting ones. There was, it was not the most... Um, well, it was a really entertaining week in Serie A because the big games were really entertaining. I would say outside of the big yeah. games, there was there was a few duds weren't there, but that happens sometimes. Yeah, Monza one two one. That was one game that had goals in it. But barring that, nothing else to really talk about. Um, let's do a little sh- a few shout outs to some new chronicles to Fozzi. Let's start off with welcome to Kirstine Paulson. Welcome to Gordon Steven. Hello to Pat Lawrence and welcome to Nicholas Restrepo. And welcome as well to Mohamed Yakub, to the mysteriously named J-Dub. And ooh, then ooh. we've got welcome to Bill. My granddad was called Bill. It's not my granddad because he's not with us anymore, but Bill and uh, Jacob as well. Thank you so much, everyone, for supporting the channel and for helping us keep this podcast going and getting to chat about Serie A and, and enjoy it with you guys every week. As usual, you can find us on socials. We're on Twitter at Mina Rizuki and at Nikki Bandini. Uh, you can subscribe to Serie A Chronicles on YouTube for clips and shorts of the show. Do, do jump on there and, and, and hit subscribe on that YouTube channel if you're so inclined. It doesn't cost a thing and it does help the show. And you can, of course, Sign up to our Patreon membership if you are one of the people who is listening to this episode for free, because I think this is a free episode at seriachronicles.com. We will be back next week with another show, but of course, we'll be back before then with some voice notes after the European Games this week as well. So until then, see you next time. Oh yeah, here it is. CNN, Italian Serie A struggler Sampdoria received a sinister warning from an unknown source on Saturday when a severed pig's head was delivered to the club's headquarters. Oh my God. Police were called onto the scene. Sampdoria expressed profound outrage and indignation in the face of yet another serious act of intimidation um, because a blank bullet was delivered to Sampdoria's offices accompanied by threats against Ferrero and Eduardo Garrone, who was the, the previous owner. Like, what the hell? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, just, it's it's like all falling apart. I feel really sorry for Stankovic, but if I was him, I would have never taken that job anyway. So. God, Sam, sorry, we're a good team once upon a time. Imagine that. Oh, we've been a great team at times. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.